0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: You say, well, I only got a couple bucks I can give God. You understand that it's about your heart and you giving, right? God's not up in heaven going, I just don't have any money. I just need to get some money. And think I'll touch a couple millionaires to get some money because I need a lot of money. You know, a couple dollars. I don't want that. I want that guy's money. It's not God. God wants you to give and be generous and to be a channel no matter where you're at.
0: God doesn't care how much money we give. He does care about the condition of our hearts when we give it, though. Just like the widow who gave everything she had, it wasn't much, but it touched God's heart because she gave when she had nothing. Unlike those around her who gave simply because they could, but not because they were looking to bless others and glorify God. Here's more from yesterday's message out of 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16, with Robert Furrow.
1: I think God wants us to be generous because he is a generous God and we are like him when we're generous. And so then he gives this verse and this verse is often misused. But I say to you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. God is saying if you're generous and you give that God's going to give back to you generously. If you don't give generously, then God's not going to give unto you generously because you're in like a channel. As you give, God gives unto you. Uh, there's other verses that say this. The Bible says, give and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over will men give unto your bosom. The Bible says, cast your bread upon the water and it will come back to you. Now, God is not giving us these verses to appeal to our greed these guys that, that now, a new teaching out there, is that God wants you to be rich. And this isn't a new teaching it has been around since I was a teenager. it has been a while. That God wants you to be rich, and the way you get rich is to give to their ministry, which is always a crack up. Anybody else see a conflict of interest here? Just kind of wondering. God wants you to be rich, and the way you get rich is to give to me. Whatever you give to me, God's going to get back to you because you can't outgive God and, and God's not going to be a debtor to any man and, and if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. And they use all these verses to appeal to people's greed. So that someone sitting there goes, wow, God wants me to be rich. And then, of course, you say, what a coincidence. I want to be rich. And God wants me to be rich. And so, well, we agree on this. So I'm going to give to this guy in order to... Get God never gave those verses... So that you would become greedy and want to be rich by giving. God gave us those verses so that you would be generous. So that you would know, you know what? I might be struggling a little bit, but I can give because God will take care of me. And if I give bountifully, God will bless me bountifully. If I give sparingly, God will bless me sparingly. He's going to take care of my needs. And the Bible says, test me in this. God said, test me in this in Malachi and uh, when he was talking about the children of Israel not keeping the law, the real law, and they were robbing from God, God said, test me in this. I think that that, and they use that verse now, test God in this. And I think to some degree, well, yeah, it's God's word. God said that if you give sparingly, you receive sparingly. If you give bountifully, you receive bountifully. So, hey, give and look at God provide for you. And I think that God will because he wants us to be generous. But then he goes on to say here in verse 7, let each of you give. As he purposes in his heart What you give Is based upon a prayerful Decision by you You get to Purpose in your heart what you're going to give Periodically I'll have people come up to me And say Pastor Robert how much should I give I want to say to you first of all It's probably not a good idea to go and ask Pastors how much you should give Because their next question might be well how much do you have (laughs) Gotta have all the information in order to tell you How much you should give You pray and purpose about what you're going to give. When me and my wife were first married, we prayed about what we were going to give to the church, what we were going to give to those who were poor and struggling, what we call offerings. You have the tithe and the offerings. We decided we wanted to tithe. Now, we're not under any law of tithing, right? We've already covered that. 10%, 10% I think is a good number. And we had decided, you know what? That's what it was before, that's what Abraham and Jacob did, that's what we were going to do. Not because we had to, not because anybody forced us, not because anybody made not because we thought we were going to get it by God if we didn't do it. We were going to be cursed by God, not because we wanted to make sure that we were living in the blessings of God, but we simply felt this is what God wants us to do by prayerfully deciding. You get to do that. You get to choose. You, God didn't want anybody telling you how much you have to give. God wants you to prayerfully make a decision and purpose in your heart what it is that you're going to give. Prayerfully make that decision, and then do it. He goes on to say in verse 7, Let each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. God didn't want you giving grudgingly. That's the last thing he wants. When I was in my, well, I was probably 20 at the time, and I heard a, uh, a guy, he was asking for money on TV which was common back in the late 70s and early 80s. These guys would get on, remember the cry, we're going to have to close the doors. <laughs> to which I would say, please, close them, because I don't want to see this spectacle anymore. I'd love to never have to see this spectacle again. And then he said this, just give. It doesn't matter what your motive is, just give. And even then, even at 20 years old, I remember saying, that's all that matters. That's all that matters is your motive. How much you give is not the key. Your motive in giving is the key. Remember the woman that went up to the, the, what was the agape box in the temple? And she put her two pennies in. She was poor, the widow. And a bunch of people had come and given a lot of money. Jesus said to his disciples, behold, I tell you the truth, this woman has given more than any of them because she gave out of her need. They gave out of their abundance. She gave more than what they did. So to God, God doesn't, you say, well, I only got a couple bucks I can give God. You understand that it's about your heart and you giving, right? God's not up in heaven going, I just don't have any money. I just need to get some money. I think I'll touch a couple millionaires to get some money because I need a lot of money. A couple dollars, I don't want that. I want that guy's money. That's not God. God wants you to give and be generous and to be a channel no matter where you're at. Now, not grudgingly. If any of you give to God grudgingly, don't give. Don't give if you're going to give grudgingly. Ladies, if your husband comes home on your anniversary, And he's got flowers in his hands. And you see him and you go, oh, you got me flowers. And he goes, yeah, I got you flowers. Here they are. I hope you like them. You're always saying, I don't get flowers. I don't get flowers. I don't get flowers. I don't get flowers. So I went by and bought you flowers. There they are. How do you like them? How do you like them? Now, ladies, are you going to be happy with your husband at that point? Or are you going to say to him, you're a jerk. That's probably what you're going to say, aren't you? Not going to be saying you don't bring me flowers, but you're a jerk that you do that. You don't want those flowers from him at that point, right? They don't mean anything to you. How much did they cost him? $8.99 at Albertsons, the flower department, (laughs) right? You don't want those flowers at that point. Well, God doesn't want it from you when it's grudging. God wants a heart that, that loves to give. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, let each man give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity. These pastors that teach the law of the tithe, And tell people, you're cursed if you don't tithe. And if you want to be rich, then you've got to tithe. They're telling them to give out of necessity. God doesn't want that. God doesn't want you to give because you have to. God wants you to give because you want to. Because you choose to. He says, not grudgingly nor of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency... In all things may have an abundance for every good work. Note the word sufficiency in the middle of verse 8. Always having all sufficiency. God isn't promising that he's going to make you a millionaire or he's going to make you rich if you start giving. God's saying, I will take care of you. I will make sure that you have what you need. Now, those are some basic principles of giving. Turn with me now back over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now that we have a little bit better understanding of biblical giving, of the direction God wants us to, to, to give. I also want to say this too, as we wrap up this point and move on to the next. It's interesting. People who are poorer give more money than people who are rich. People who are rich may give more in dollars, but people who are poorer give more percentage of what they have. Isn't that interesting? Not that you guys on this side are poor and you guys on this side are rich, by the way, as I point to one side or the other. It's just an interesting concept because when you don't have money you think well when I have money I'm going to do it but if you could only afford to give a dollar or five dollars or whatever it is that you purpose in your heart to give you might not think that's very important but to God it's incredibly important because it's not about the money you say well I don't know how much a dollar or five dollars would go towards the electric bill at the church the reality is not very much it's the reality because the bill for electricity here is you know unbelievable But that's not what matters to God. Again, God's not up in heaven. I'm broke. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's our hearts as we give. And if you have $10 today and I say to you, listen, give everything to God. You go, oh, I got $10. That's easy for you to give. There you go. I gave everything to God. I gave $10. But if you have a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank and I say to you, give everything to God. You go, I don't really know if I want to do that or not. It's much harder to give that $200,000 to give everything than it is to give that ten. And I'll say, while you're struggling financially, you have an opportunity to give everything to God. You have an opportunity to give. So even though it may cost you and even though you don't have much, I believe it's important for us. And you might say, well, I think it's important to give to those who are needy and I'm the needy. I'll stand outside and people can give to me because I'm struggling right now. There's always those that are more needy than what you are. There's always those that need help and and looking for a way to be able to bless them I think is important. All right, now we come to uh, 1 Timothy chapter five. There's a benevolence fund at our church. That fund is there to help those that are struggling. The Bible says do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. So it's divided up into two parts. There's part of our benevolence fund that is for people that attend this church, to Christians. And if you're struggling Financially, we've got a fund to be able to help you. Again, I understand it's humbling to go and ask. We want our deacons to be gracious when you go and ask for that. And you should know that that fund is there. If you need it, it's there. A portion of everything that's given to the church goes to a benevolence fund. And a portion of that goes to those in the church. And then there's another portion that goes to those that just need help. They don't need to be Christians. They could be, you know, whatever. We'll help them. Because we believe that God calls us to minister to the poor. So it's divided that way. But those resources are limited. They're not infinite. We have a limit to how much we can help. So we have to decide. And years ago, we had to make some decisions. What kind of things are we going to pay for? We decided, for example, I don't know where we stand now on the Benevolence Fund. The deacons oversee that, so I'm not sure of all the details. But we decided years ago, you know, we'll pay electric bills because people got to have their electricity but we're not going to pay a phone bill because unless there's some you know, outstanding circumstances that they need to have a phone for their own safety because uh, they could do without a phone. So we kind of had to make those decisions. That's what this chapter is about. They're giving to a group of, of widows. Remember that the government of Rome, the city of Ephesus that this letter is written to, did not do as good of a job as the government of the United States in caring for those that are, are struggling. Now, I don't know how you feel about the welfare system or the, I don't know what the the dollar amount is that our government spends to take care of those that are struggling. The money could probably be spent better. They're probably not as efficient as they could be, right? I think we would all have complaints about the way it's used. But I also think the most of us would say, I'm glad our, our country does that. I'm glad the city of Tucson has money that they use to take care of poor I'm glad the state of Arizona does. I'm glad the United States does. I wouldn't want to be in a country that didn't do that. I'm glad that they do. I might not agree with the way that it's run completely, but I don't agree with the way the DMVs run either, all right? And I go down there and register my car. So we understand that. The city of Rome could care less about the or the, the nation of Rome could care less about the poor. The city of Ephesus could care less about them. So when someone in the church would find themselves in a position where they were no longer cared for, there was no social security, So when a woman's husband would die, she would find herself exposed financially. So the early church came up with a program that they would take the widows into a group of widows in the church. Like we have groups of deacons or these were groups of widows. And they received all of their finance, all of their care, their money that they needed to live, they got from the church. And in return, they would faithfully minister to saints. It was their job then as a group of widows in the church that received money from the church to pray and care and hospitality, and they ministered to people within the church of Ephesus. So it was kind of a welfare program that they had within the church for these widows whose husbands had died and otherwise would be out on the streets and who knows where to be able to provide for them. But the money that they had in Ephesus wasn't, it was limited. So they had to decide which widows do we help and which don't we help. And what we're going to see is that he decided, you know what? If widows are younger, then don't bring them into this number. If widows are younger, tell them, go out and marry somebody, all right? Go out and find a new husband. Have some children, keep a house. The way that he says this here in our culture, 2,000 years later, is a little bit stinging, okay? When we read this, we go, "Woo! wow, Paul really said it there, didn't he? Remember, he's writing in a different culture. If he were writing these same words today, he would word them differently, but the principles would still be there. So what we're looking for here is the principles that he talked about, and I find several of them. The first thing that I find is that he tells us that we are to treat each other like family. Look at verse one of chapter five. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. This is a way for us to maintain purity within the church that we realize that we are family. And to older women in your life, in fact, it's a way for you to maintain purity within your life as you interact with women. Older women as mothers, younger women as as sisters. For for me, I treat younger women as I would treat my daughter, older women as I I would treat my mother. And there's purity that's brought into that. But he also brings in the idea of a family. And then he says, honor widows who are really widows. Widows. This is concerning the number of the widows that they brought in to minister to the body, cared for their needs and minister to them. When he says really a widow, he doesn't mean that their husband has died because all the widows' husbands had died, but some of them had family that was rich that could take care of them. And he's going to say, if you've got family, then don't come and become part of this number of the church, of these widows in the church. Let your family take care of you. If you're young, go out and remarry. Find yourself a way to care for yourself and don't enter into this number. He goes on to say then in verse 4, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. It's good and acceptable before God that you take care of your family. As your parents get older, to care for them. As there's needs in your home and your family, take care of them. Now, she was really a widow and left alone, trust in God and continue to supplications and prayers night and day. In other words, she has to have a certain spirituality before she can be brought into this number at the church. But she who lives in pleasure, the word there really is indulgences, is dead while she's living. He says, if you're living for stuff, then don't come and be a part of this group of women at the church. If you're living for stuff, you're dead while you live. If you're living for indulgences, you're dead while you live anyway. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of the household of faith... He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are some strong words. It says that if, if you just, you know, you don't have a job and you're just kind of kicking back and you're not really providing for your family, he's saying, get a job, get a haircut, pull up your pants, go out and go to work. Now, that's my paraphrase, okay? But that's what he's saying here. There's another passage where Paul writes and he says, tell those who are not working among you to get a job, so that they can give, so they have something to give to the poor. How important was it to give? He was telling them, don't go out and get a job so you, you know, stop being a free loafer. He said, go out and get a job so you have something to give. Rather than being the person that receives, go out and get a job so you can be on the other end of it and you can be one who gives. So he's encouraging them in a very strong way to provide for their family. Then he says, do not let a widow under 60 years be taken into the number. And not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet. There we go with feet washing again. If she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Now again, this is the number of the widows that are there ministering to the body now. If she hasn't been a spiritual woman, then she wasn't to be taken into that number because they were now working on behalf of the church. He says, but refuse the younger widows, For when they have grown, have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, and having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides the learning to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but gossips and busybodies, saying things that they ought not to say. Therefore, I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, manage a house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now again, those are a little bit stinging, When we read them, we go, whoa, I don't know that I would say it that way. Might want to be a little bit more politically correct, Paul. But politically correct writing wasn't around back in 60 AD. But he's basically saying, if a woman is younger and she's widowed, let her go ahead and get remarried, manage a household, and continue on in ministering that way. Don't be taken into the number. For some have already turned aside to Satan. Then he says this, if any believing man or woman has... Widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So, in other words, those decisions have to be made because the amount of money that they have is limited, so they got to decide who to help and who not to help. Now, I think there's some things that we can take away from this within our church. I think it's good for us as deacons, those who are deacons, to really understand this passage. To understand that when someone comes and needs help, first of all, it's difficult for them to do it. To understand there's ways to really help and not. So sometimes people come and ask for help and we ask some personal questions about your finances and, and you may get mad at us. We've had that before. I came and you guys asked me about my finances and you understand what we're trying to do, right? We're just trying to be faithful, as diligent as we can be with the money that God has provided to the church to be able to reach needs as much as we can. And sometimes we'll say no if we feel like there's other avenues or other ways for it to be met because we want to really be able to relieve those that are really burdened. We have things a little different. We don't have a group of widows that we take into the church because there's uh, welfare. Because not only welfare, there's social security. So we live in a different culture and a different time in the way things are act differently. But we can take from that the importance of making sure that what we give is given effectively. This comes down to us now. Application. How do we give? Who should we give to? This takes a little bit of work. I have, in the past, wanted to give but not really known where to give. And so I've had to do some research about those that I have chosen to give to. And there are certain ministries that I give to. There are, There's ways in which I give to those that are poor. You can give directly to the Benevolence Fund at the church if you want to. You just have to write in your check for the Benevolence Fund or 50% of it to the Benevolence Fund. And more than what we normally put in there, would go to the Benevolence Fund. You can give online to our Practical Christian Living Foundation, which we do programs for hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and imprisoned. We take, kind of take those five things Jesus talked about and we reach out around the world to meet those needs. But prayerfully consider where you give, get together with your wife or your husband, pray about what you give, and then give it. And know that what you're giving now comes out of a heart that is generous. Not because you've had to do it, but because God's generous. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible says every good and perfect gift has come down from the Father of lights. The Bible tells us, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God is generous to us, so generous to us. He's given so much to us, and we become like him when we are generous. When we say, Lord, I want to give and I want to be able to give generously to those that are struggling and in need. And I believe that when we do that, we are pleasing to God when we do it with the right heart. When we do it, we're not grudging. When We do it not out of necessity, but because we have chosen to do that. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for this section of scripture that helps us to understand this um, group of widows that you ministered to through the early church, in the culture that they grew up in, and, or that they were in, in Ephesus, in, in Rome. Lord, we want to be as effective as we can be to those in our midst that are, are struggling. We want to give out of a generous heart. We pray that we would give the right way. Lord, for those of us that are in ministry, Lord, help us to never manipulate Help us to encourage people to give the right way as you encourage through the pages of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that there are these passages that speak to us about this because you want us to be generous. We pray that you would bless uh, what we've learned here today and um, help us to be those that give bountifully, not those that give sparingly. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses, our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco, meets saturdays at 6 p.m and sundays at 9 45 a.m our west campus south of palo verde and i-10 meets sunday mornings at 8 30 and 11 a.m our midweek service times are wednesday evening at 6 p.m at our east campus and 7 15 p.m at our west campus if you prefer you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org